Well, folks, why don't you turn to Philippians uh, chapter 2. We're on page 981. Uh, Let me um, tell you a name. Giuseppe Berardelli. Anyone? Anyone know him? No takers. You won't. Giuseppe Berardelli. It's a name that none of us will be familiar with. Giuseppe Berardelli was a Catholic priest. And he uh, lived in the northern part of Italy. Was well-renowned in the community. Well-respected. People love this guy. He was older in age. He was 72. And had served his community for decades. Last year, when the coronavirus pandemic really started to gather uh, steam, if you remember, kind of thinking back, probably about this time last year, Italy was particularly hard hit. We shared some um, just stories of our friends who, who were planting churches in Italy and just horrific stories of hospitals stacking up bodies. They, they just couldn't deal with it. Uh, Giuseppe Berardelli had a respiratory condition. He'd had it for years. And his community, because they loved and revered him so much, clubbed together, they raised some money and they bought him his own ventilator because they knew more than likely he was going to become ill and they didn't want him to die. So, so they bought uh, just one uh, specifically for him, not to be used by anyone else. Inevitably, he caught the coronavirus and they brought out the ventilator for him to use and he refused. He said, I don't want to take it. I said, well, we don't need to go. We've, we've, we've paid all this money. We want you to use it. We want you to, to kind of get through this. And he refused to take it. At the same time, that doctors and hospitals were making difficult decisions, really hard ethical decisions. Who do we choose to give our ventilators to? And who do we choose not to give our ventilators to? And he didn't want to kind of put pressure on the doctors in that respect. And so he said, I don't want it. I want you to use this for someone else who needs to use it for, for someone younger. And that's what they did. They took his ventilator away from him and they gave it to a young man who, who needed it and survived. Just weeks later, Giuseppe Berardelli passed away. That is just one of many extraordinary stories that are emerging out of the last 12 months. And the story of Giuseppe Berardelli resonates really with the heart of the passage that we're in this morning. We've heard as we've been journeying through this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, this really deep love letter of Paul. We've heard that really at the heart of, of Paul as he writes this is, is that he desperately wants the Philippians to grow up into being more like Christ. Like that's the, the common uh, kind of refrain that we've heard going through, that, that we would have the mind of Christ, that we would be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that Paul really wants us to look more like Jesus. Because when we do, People see more of him. They see less of us and they see more of God. And that's, that's what we want. We want God's glory to extend to, to every corner of the earth. And so, and so the plan that God has given us, his people, is that, that day by day we will mature and grow up more into the likeness of his son, who is God. And that's what this letter is about. Growing up into the likeness of Jesus. And particularly in this section of the letter that we're in, in chapter 2, Paul is driving at one particular aspect. Look down at me at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2. Mark led us through this a few weeks ago. This is what Paul says. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul is calling the church, he's calling 
our church is calling every Christian to grow up into the likeness of Christ and in particular ways. And the particular way that we're in here at the moment is this. Consider others before you consider yourself. That's what, that's what he wants us to do. And this whole section that we're in, the whole of chapter 2, is really driving towards that goal. Consider others before yourself. He gives that instruction in verse 3 and 4. Consider others before yourself. And then what does he do? He goes on to show us how Jesus does that. How Jesus considered us before he considered himself. How Jesus in humility came on and put on human flesh, left the throne room of God and came and lived amongst us and then considered us before himself by dying for us on a cruel cross. Considering us before himself. That is the example that Paul puts up of Christ. An example of humiliation and then exaltation. Paul says, consider others before yourself. Jesus did it. And then last week we heard from Ryan. Now he calls the church to do it. You now, you you listen to what I'm saying and you walk in obedience. Do what you've been called to do. You now, church, consider others before yourself. And as you do, Paul says, you will shine like stars in the midst of a wicked and crooked generation. As you consider others before yourself, that is what will happen. You will be separated out. You will shine brightly. You see, it's all very well hearing that. Hearing the instruction from Paul. Being pointed to the example of Christ. Being told, now you go and do the same. But but what does that really look like? What does it look like to consider others before we consider ourselves? As Paul draws... Uh, chapter 2 to a close it's as if he says okay let me show you've seen the example in Christ you've heard my call to go and do it let me show you in reality what it looks like for God's people to consider others before they consider themselves let's read together chapter 2 verses 19 to 30 Paul says this I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon So that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What does it look like to consider others before ourselves? Paul says, look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. We've met Timothy before, if you remember, back in chapter 1, right in the first verse of the letter, we're introduced to who is, who is bringing this letter. It's from Paul and from Timothy. Some of you will know a little bit about Timothy. We, we gave a little bit of his story right at the start. 
and if you remember back in Acts 16, we hear just this journey that, that Paul and Silas and Luke have been on. They've been uh, moving from Jerusalem and their heart is really to take the gospel to the Jews. And, and you remember they're traveling through Turkey and they get to this fork in the road and they want to go right but God is calling them left. He says, I want you to go into Europe. I want you to take the, the gospel into Europe. And do you remember who they picked up on the way? They collect Timothy. They meet Timothy in, in a place called Lystra in Turkey. They pick up this young man, Timothy. Timothy's um, mother was a Jew and his father was Greek, which meant that he wasn't circumcised. But Paul knows that he's going to serve the Jews. And so he takes Timothy, this young man, not a boy, a young man maybe similar ages as, as some of the guys in this room, and he takes him to be circumcised so he can better evangelize the Jews. And Paul says in this passage here, I'm going to send Timothy to be with you. I'm sending you, I'm sending Timothy to be with you, the Philippians. So we have Timothy and then we have this guy called Epaphroditus, great name. If we're thinking of baby names, let's put that on the list, guys. Epaphroditus, that is a, a power name. He's never going to get bullied on the playground, is he, called Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was probably a leader in the, in the church in Philippi. And most likely, he's never met Paul. If you think of how small the church in Philippi is when Paul leaves, like it's literally Lydia and her family, the, the jailer and his family, the slave girl, and maybe a few others, more than likely than Epaphroditus has never met Paul. But he's sent by the church in Philippi. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's sent by the church to go to Paul. We think he's probably in Ephesus, maybe in Rome. Whichever, whichever place he's in, this is a long journey. He's sent by the church in Philippi to go to take a gift of money to help Paul, probably to buy food and clothes just to keep him going. And he's sent to encourage Paul. Epaphroditus goes and what we pick up in this little passage here is either before he gets to Paul or, or when he gets to Paul he becomes ill and we're not told what's wrong with him but he comes so ill Paul says he's close to death the actual interpretation is he looked like death like have you ever been that ill like sometimes I feel like I am but actually Elizabeth reminds me I'm not but I feel like oh I'm gonna die he looked like death but actually he he was physically close to death Paul says, I'm sending him back. He's been with Paul for a time. Paul says, now he's coming back to you. The characteristic that both of these men embody is this. They both consider the needs of others before themselves. They are living illustrations of what Paul is commanding the Philippians and us as God's people to do. If you want to know what it looks like to consider other people's needs before yourself, look at Jesus. And then you can also look at Timothy. And also look at Epaphroditus. They will show you what it looks like to live in this world and consider other people's needs before their own. And Paul is saying it isn't just them. This is every Christian. We should all, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, like Paul, like Jesus, we should, we should want to be like him. We should want to grow up into Jesus. We should all want to consider others before ourselves. And folks, can I say this is more than, than just an action. This is more than just hearing God say this in his word and going out and thinking, well, well, I need to do that. This is like a pervading mindset. This is the nature, the true nature of a Christian. Someone who's been transformed with all desires to, to have a new desire. This is something that, that flows through our, our veins. It's not just something that we do. This is who we are. 
It's part of our new nature as new creatures. We are made as people who will naturally want to consider other people's needs before ourselves. And that means when we think about what we're going to do with our time, it means when we think about what we're going to do with our money, it means when we think about who in this world we are going to call Lord, we will do it in a way which considers other people's needs before our own. So we're going to be called as we journey through these few verses this morning to think about those things, to think about our money, to think about our time, to think about how we use our homes, to think about how we use our gifts, to think about how we use our resources and reorient maybe how we think about those things and steward those things to steward them for the benefit of others. And let me just kind of move this out of the way. This isn't about giving up your seat for the old person. This isn't about, I don't know, kind of just holding the door for someone. This is, this is, Paul is calling the Christian community to be truly distinctive. Did you pick up on that last week when, when Ryan was preaching? To shine like stars in the world. He wants us to be seen and to be seen by our difference. Christian community is and should be distinctive. Here's how we see. I think first, Paul has shown us that Christ's community will counterculturally consider others before themselves. I think that's the first way that we see it. But the, the way that we do this, the way that we consider others before ourselves will be countercultural. Like the backdrop that Paul is writing this letter into is no different to ours. It was a culture which was self-centered, a culture which, which really exalted the individual. A culture which prized self-preservation. And it's exactly the same now. Like we kind of think that this has maybe come on the back of the Enlightenment in the 17th and 18th century. When, when there was a real drive culturally to, to move from, from thinking, how can I benefit my tribe and my people? To thinking, how can I benefit my individual? That, that did happen in the Enlightenment. But this, is, this has always been the case. We've always loved ourselves. Right from the very beginning. Right from the garden. We have made ourselves as gods and put ourselves on a pedestal and we are working to center the world and center our lives on ourselves. That is not how the church, that is not how Christ's community live. A pastor in the States, John Tyson, talks about something called gospel game theory. He says, in the world, you you see game theory all the time. Some of you who are interested in sociology maybe I've heard this before. Game theory is basically you just see the different way that people make decisions and you can look at it almost like like you're playing a game. And he says a few decades ago, the prevailing game theory of, of Western culture in particular was this. I win, you lose. Think of that in, in the 80s and 90s as kind of as industry really takes a hold and, and, and we really prize business. The, the prevailing mindset of people in business was I win. And you lose. And that's just how people live. I accumulate wealth by, by trodden over other people. I'm going to get to the position that I want to be in this world by, by just ignoring other people and pushing past. And I don't care if you lose as long as I win. That's what was true 10, 15, 20 years ago. He says now we live in a kind of game theory where it's not so much I win, you lose. It's more uh, I win and you win. And what he means by that is, you believe what you, whatever you want to believe. 
You do whatever you want to do. You do whatever feels like winning in, in, your, in your mind. I, and I will do the same. And we both get to win. Even if we disagree with each other. Even if I think what you're doing is stupid. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to say it's a good thing because you're doing what makes you feel good. You're doing what you think is winning. And so I will win and you will win. And what John Tyson says is actually that, that just doesn't work. No one ends up happy. Because you end up lying to yourself and deceiving yourself and, and pretending that what the other person is doing is good and great when deep inside you know it's not. Lifts up another way, a better way to live. He says, he says, the gospel game theory is this. I lose and we all win. I lose and we all win. What he says is that is what you see in Jesus. Didn't we see just a few weeks ago the way and the pattern that Jesus comes is not one of, of coming in and being exalted straight away, is not one of him being elevated straight away and being risen up straight away. No, he comes in humiliation. He comes and he dies a cruel death. He comes and he suffers the, the weight of the penalty of our sin. He loses so that we would win. That is the story of the gospel. And that is the story that every single one of us, all of us who will call Jesus Lord are called into. We will lose for the sake of everyone else winning. We will be prepared to lay down our preferences so that everyone else will win. We will be prepared to deny ourselves of sin and pleasure and enjoyment and privilege. Why? So that we would all win, so that we would all see Jesus being beheld in our lives. That is what Christ's community have been called into. Not to, not to win so that you would lose. Not so that we, we all win and we compromise our beliefs so that everyone's happy. No, we lay down our lives. We be prepared to lose so that everyone wins. That is the type of life that we are called into. That is the type of life that Jesus demonstrates for us. That is the type of life that Timothy and Epaphroditus shows. Think about Timothy. Folks, he got circumcised as a grown man. Like, like I call some of you young men into stepping up into areas of ministry. You can, you can be assured I will never call you to do that. But Timothy does. That was countercultural. Don't kind of read that in Acts 16 and think, oh, well, that's just what happened. No, that was abnormal. That was, you would get circumcised as a young boy, not as a grown adult. But you know what? Timothy loves Jesus and he loves the gospel. And he is willing to be countercultural and to count the cost and to deny himself and consider others before himself. Think about Epaphroditus. He's never met Paul. And yet he's willing, presumably on his own, to travel all the way and to get to the point of nearly dying to serve this brother in the Lord. That is countercultural. That is abnormal. But do you know what? Do you know what happens when abnormal things happen? They stand out. They shine bright. Folks, that is what we are called to do as God's people, as Christ's community, as Liberty Church, to do abnormal things. And as we do, we will shine brightly in a wicked and crooked generation around us. Not to do reckless things, but to do things that the gospel calls us to, which increasingly in our world are going to look strange, are going to look foolish, are going to look abnormal, but are going to glorify God. Christ community counterculturally consider others before ourselves. 
and can I just say, we don't just do that in a way that, that, that is kind of like, oh, well, well we have to. Uh, maybe this is just what we should. Maybe, maybe because, because we're told to in church, we live like that. No, the next thing is this. We do that genuinely. We do that with our whole heart. Like this kind of countercultural consideration of others before ourselves isn't half-hearted. Isn't just a mere sense of duty. We do it genuinely. Look down at verse 20. Paul talking about Timothy says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy is really genuinely concerned for the Philippians. Paul's saying this isn't something he's faking. He really cares for you. Timothy has genuine concern for the Philippians and genuine concern for Paul. Paul says, I've got no one like him. In verse 22, he says, Timothy is like a son to me. I'm like a father to him. Do you know when I go and see my parents, I can't fake being my father's son. Like he knows that I'm his son. You can't fake those things. And in verse 21, Paul gives this, this kind of contrast. He says, he's talking about people outside, probably the same people he was talking about back in chapter one who were, who were working against Paul from rivalry and conceit. Remember that? And he, he says this about them. He says, they all seek their own interests. Not those of Jesus Christ. And then he says, that's not the case with Timothy. Timothy has a proven worth. He has a track record. You can look in Timothy's life and you can see he genuinely loves Jesus. He genuinely loves Christ's community. It's the same with Epaphroditus. Verse 26, he says Epaphroditus is longing for the Philippians. He has this kind of just deep desire for for his people back in Philippi. And listen to this. This is almost laughable. He's longing for the Philippians. And he hears somehow word has got to Epaphroditus. That the Philippians know that he's been ill. And he's getting sick thinking about that. Paul says he's distressed that you know that you think he's ill. Like, let me go back to to me being on my deathbed having a cold at home. And I'm just so kind of self-absorbed. And I'm just, you know, I'm not worried whether anyone else thinks that I'm ill. I'm just thinking about myself. Epaphroditus here, he's close to death. And and do you know what he's worried about? He's not worried about dying. He's worried about people worrying about him dying. Like he genuinely loves these people. Listen to how Paul describes his relationship with Epaphroditus in verse 24. He says he's like a brother to me. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. Remember that picture of side by side working together for the gospel? And he says, he's, he's my minister and your messenger. Like, that is some CV. Like, if Epaphroditus goes for a job as pastor in a church, and, and on his CV, he's got pastor to the Apostle Paul, minister to the Apostle Paul, you hire him straight away. Like, like he loves Paul. He loves the church in Philippi. Paul says he's like a brother to me. My fellow worker, my fellow soldier, my minister. There's no faking his love. There's no fake in his devotion for Paul and the church. Epaphroditus serves side by side with the Apostle Paul as a brother to the, to the point of death. Like that is a true test, isn't it? Like if you want to test how, how genuine my love for Elizabeth is, put a gun to my head and see if I really love her. And, and you, could, you could shoot me, that'd be fine because I, I genuinely love my wife. That is the true test. That is the litmus test. 
at the point of death is Epaphroditus going to turn back and go home? Is he going to leave Paul, drop off the goods and just get in an ambulance, a first century ambulance, whatever that is, and just get out of it? No, no, no. He sticks around with Paul. Not even death will separate the love that he has for Paul and Christ's community. Because Christ's community will counterculturally consider others before ourselves and we will do that genuinely. We'll do that genuinely. Here's the challenge. Like, I'm sure Paul was a nice guy. I'm sure he was. I'm sure the people in Philippi were nice. Like there were some issues there. We're going to read that in the next couple of weeks. There were some people who were difficult. But they were probably nice people. What about those who aren't? Well, listen to verse 21. Paul says this. Talking about those people, he says, They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, ultimately, Timothy, Paphroditus, me. Ultimately, we are serving each other, but ultimately, who are we serving? Jesus. We're serving Christ. Which means, if we don't get, if we kind of consider others before ourselves, and we don't get kindness reciprocated to us, or if we're considering others before ourselves, and we don't get recognition, or if we're considering other people before ourselves, and it costs us dearly, this means it's okay. Because we're not serving ultimately one another and that's where it stops. Ultimately, we're serving Jesus. We're serving Christ. And we have already received in Christ everything that we could want. God the Father has given to us the thing that he holds most precious to him, his son. And we are found in Christ. We, we cannot be given anything more than that. We have been given the most precious thing in all of the universe. So if we miss out on something, it doesn't matter. We are already inheritors of the greatest gift in the universe, God himself. I was thinking about this this week. So this week is, marks three years since Liberty Church was planted. And I was thinking about some of the early um, um, seed sowers into our church. And folks, you don't know who they are. You have no idea of the people and the families that gave money and gave resources, some of it significant amounts and significant amounts of time to this church so we could meet in this place and have the Bibles that we have and, and I could be freed up to do. You have no idea who they are. And they don't mind. They don't care for that. They don't want your recognition. They don't want affirmation because they have already received so much in Christ. That is the example that we should follow counterculturally being people who consider others before ourselves and doing that genuinely, not for earthly rewards, but because we have already received everything we could want to receive in Christ Jesus. Do that genuinely and we do it joyfully. This theme of joy you see right the way through the letter just popping up every now and again. And you see it in this passage here. Folks, don't think that Paul sending Timothy back to Philippi was easy. How does he call uh, Timothy? What does he call him? My son. He says, I have no one like him. Verse 19, he's willing to give him up. And, and he's willing to give him up not begrudgingly, not, not frustrated, not angry, not thinking, oh, all right, you can take him if you really need him. Just There's none of that with Paul. How does he give up what's precious to him? Joyfully. 
He says, I want to send Timothy so that I can be cheered by news when he gets there. He wants to give generously. He wants to to give joyfully. He sends Timothy with joy. As we're just thinking of this call to consider others before themselves, I'm sure I'm not the only one who wrestles with this. Giving up what's precious to me and giving things up joyfully. Like I will, you know, the Bible tells me to give and to give in every area of my life and I'll do that, but to really do that genuinely and joyfully. Does anyone else wrestle with that? I struggled when God says, you know what? These people need your money more than you do. I struggle when God says, you know what? You might need a nap, but I want you to go out for a walk with that person instead. I struggle when God says, you know what? This home doesn't belong to you. You need to invite other people into your home to come and live in the room upstairs. I genuinely struggle with that. God is calling. Yeah, it is you. That wasn't subtle at all, was it? God is calling us to live in that way. To genuinely and joyfully consider others before ourselves. You see that with Paul with sending Timothy. You see Timothy going and presumably going with joy as well. And you see with Epaphroditus. Paul didn't find it easy sending Epaphroditus back. He says, you just get a sense of this bond already with Epaphroditus as Epaphroditus is near to death. What does Paul say in verse 27? I I, I had sorrow upon sorrow or I was saved from that. Should he have died? But Paul sends Epaphroditus back and this time for their joy. He has joy in sending Timothy and he sends Epaphroditus back for their joy. And when he sends Epaphroditus back, He says, by the way, do be joyful. Be joyful when he comes back in verse 29. Receive him with joy and honor. You see, it seems that the Philippians um, probably had a plan for Epaphroditus to stick around a bit longer. They wanted him to be with Paul for a while to encourage him, to strengthen him. But he gets sick and Paul, it looks like Paul sends him back early. And it feels like, reading between the lines, it feels like maybe there's a sense of failure. The Philippians have sent Epaphroditus and he's going to be the real strengthener to Paul. But he ends up getting sick and and maybe they think he's been a bit of a burden to Paul. And there's a little bit of just a sense of when Epaphroditus comes back, Paul is maybe suspecting that they're not going to welcome him back like they should. Like this maybe won't resonate with us, but in the first century, the culture there was founded on honor and shame. It's what you find in a lot of Eastern communities. It's an honor and shame culture. And when Epaphroditus goes back, there's a suspicion that they're not going to honor him, that they're going to be shameful of him because he, he didn't last the course, because he, he got sick and wasn't able to do what they wanted him to do. Paul says, no, honor this man. He served me well. And actually, it's a wrench for me to send him back. It's like me giving up another one of my sons. It's like me giving up my dear friend. I'm sending him back. And when he comes, be joyful. He has served me well. Folks, when we consider others before ourselves, please do not think that that we are doing people a favour. Please don't think that we're just doing this as a chore. When we consider others before ourselves, it is a joyful privilege. That's what it is. It's a joyful privilege. One of the best illustrations we see of this in God's word is in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I love this verse. And, and Paul's talking about the church giving and giving it primarily financially. And I'm not kind of calling us that this morning, but, but this is what he says. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's how he says that we should give. We should give joyfully. We should give cheerfully. And that word cheerful there is translated, the Greek word is hilaros, which is where we get the word. Anyone? Hilarious. Like Paul is saying, that is how you should give. If you want to consider others before yourselves, don't think that you're doing them a favor. Don't do it begrudgingly. Don't think, oh, if I have to, he says, be hilarious about it. Like just think it's the funniest thing in the world to give away what you've got. Like, that's how we give. I feel stupid doing that, but I, it's funny. That's, Paul says that's the attitude we have. Christ's community joyfully consider others before themselves. And finally, Christ's community generously consider others before themselves. I mentioned Epaphroditus' name before. Does anyone know anyone called Epaphroditus? Georgina, come on. There probably is, there probably is a little kid in your nursery. There's some weird people out there who call their child something like that. Epaphroditus, this is, this is what Epaphroditus means. In the name of Aphrodite. You've heard of Aphrodite, yeah? So Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of love, or lesser known, she was the Greek goddess of gambling. So that's why maybe none of us have heard, heard that one, but it's true. And what they used to say was when they were gambling, uh, they'd, uh, before they threw the dice or whatever it is, however you gambled in the first century, they would say, in the name of Aphrodite, they'd kind of invoke this god and then throw the dice. And hopefully they'd win. It was a kind of risk-taking that they'd do. They would risk their money in the name of Aphrodite, throw the dice, hoping that they would gain. That's what Aphroditus means, in the name of Aphrodite. Aphroditus risks so much more than money. Risks his life. He gives his life for his brother Paul. He puts his life on the line for Christ's community. Like he is giving generously of literally everything that he has. And what about Paul? Uh, uh, Timothy. Wind the clock back to when he gets circumcised. Literally, Timothy is giving part of his body away. I mean, we might kind of squirm a little bit and laugh, but that is that's significant. He's giving generously of literally his body. And he's ready to leave Paul. Like like Timothy feels like a father to... to, to, uh, uh, Paul feels like a a father to Timothy. And Timothy feels like a son to Paul. On the day that that some of us have left our parents to get married, we feel something of the wrench of that. We feel what it is to, to, to kind of come away from our parents especially when we've had loving parents, especially when we've had parents who've cared for us and poured into us. And that is what Paul does to Timothy. Timothy is willing to let go of his spiritual father and in an act of generosity, go to Philip. And think about Paul. Where is Paul writing from? Jail. He's not in jail because he's done anything wrong. He's in jail because he loves Jesus and he loves the church. Like the generosity of these three men, Paul, Epaphroditus, and Timothy, is truly outstanding. And actually, when you get to um, Paul's second letter to Corinthians, you see that he says the same about the Philippian church. They are the most generous church, literally at that time, in the world. Generosity is all over this letter. And it is joyful generosity. Folks, I I actually, I feel like there's a, a really... 
strong spirit of generosity and liberty. And I actually want to celebrate that in us this morning. I was thinking yesterday, we bumped into Ella, and obviously Johnny's staying at ours and had some time with Nathan earlier in the week. Just think, that is, that is a wonderful thing. There's no one in this room, there was no one who was part of the family of Liberty Church who feels like they will ever be out of somewhere to live. If you need somewhere to live, you will find it within this body. That is a wonderful thing. That is not normal. That is abnormal. But it is wonderful. There is a genuine spirit of generosity here. But I want to push us a little bit more. And I want to encourage us to go a little bit more. I want to encourage us through God's word this morning to, to really consider others before ourselves. And to do it not, not thinking, well, what is the least that I can get away with giving? What is going to hurt me less? What can I, what can I just kind of give away and it's not really going to hurt me? But to, but to think more like, what is the least that I need? What is the least that I need to keep? And, and how can I use the rest of what I have to consider the good of those around me? In terms of application, we could think in terms of money. We could think in terms of resources. It might even be this morning that there are areas of sin in your life which you are holding on to for your own desire and your own gratification. And maybe the Spirit is leading you this morning to say, I need to push that away. I need to consider others before myself and lay that to one side. Maybe it is that. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's time. But actually... As I've been praying for us this week and just really seeking the Spirit to teach us this morning, I actually think that this might be the pinch for us this year. When it comes to consider others, considering others before ourselves, I wonder whether the pinch for us is actually going to be our time and our space. Think about the last 12 months. We have had our homes to ourselves. We've had our time to ourselves. We have just been comfortable and, and kind of uh, done everything that we wanted to do and, and we've not been able to have people in our homes or not been able to go out for walks with people or not be able to spend just long nights chatting away with people in our front rooms. We've not been able to do that, but there is coming a point in time where we will. And I know most of us are looking forward to that time, but when that time comes, it is going to require sacrifice. It's going to mean that we open up our doors again and invite people into our lives again. And give up our time again. And spend our resources stocking the fridge full of food for other people again. And making sure there's always more coffee and decaf tea bags in the cupboard for people who drink decaf even though we don't. Making sure all those things are placed. Because we're inviting people back in. And honestly, I think we're going to find it hard. Because we love our own space. We love our own time. think that's where the pinch is going to be and so i want us to pray for a joyful spirit of genuine generosity folks as we approach that time in the next few weeks and the next few months that we don't wrestle against considering other people's needs before ourselves actually when they're still sitting there at 11 o'clock in the evening that's okay and you enjoy that Christ's community will counterculturally genuinely consider others before ourselves. And we will do that with a joyful generosity. As I kind of wrap up here, I don't know whether you read this passage beforehand, but at a surface kind of glance, it, it almost just reads as a bit of a travel itinerary. Like Paul is just telling us what's going to happen in the next few weeks and months, who's going to go where, who's going to do what. But actually, as we get below the surface, we see there's so much more going on. 
These verses that we've just read give us a pattern of radical, countercultural discipleship. And I don't know whether you picked up on this, but the foundation to what he's just been teaching us and the, the way that we walk in the life that he has leading us towards has been Jesus. Seven times in just those verses that we've just read, Paul mentions either Jesus or the gospel of Jesus. And don't forget, we've got the light of, of, of verses 7 to 11, that great Christ hymn of Jesus' humiliation and exaltation, exaltation. The light of that passage is shining all over our passage this morning. Jesus and the gospel of Jesus are all over this call to consider others before we consider ourselves. And I wonder whether you picked up on this in this morning's passage. The repetition of death. Epaphroditus' life was on the line. And then in verse 27, you get this saving moment. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also. Epaphroditus is near to death, but God had mercy. Does that ring any bells with anyone? Does that remind you of an, another passage that Paul wrote? Being near to death, but God in his mercy. Just flick a couple of pages to the left to me, will you guys, as we wrap up in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what Paul says. In chapter 2, he says in verse 1, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then scroll down with me to verse four. We were dead, verse one, but what does he say in verse four? But God, being rich in what? Mercy. Folks, we were all spiritually dead. Epaphroditus is nearly physically dead. And God shows his mercy. We have all at one point in our lives been spiritually dead. But God in his mercy has saved us. God in his great mercy sent his son to live the life that we couldn't live. And to die a cruel death on a cross. He shows his mercy to us in that. We were once dead in the trespasses of our sins. We were once sons of the devil. But now in his great mercy, he has saved us and brought us out of spiritual death and brought us into spiritual life. And listen, Paul was a nice guy. The Philippians were nice people. Epaphroditus is willing to go back. Timothy is willing to go. Paul is willing to suffer for them. Epaphroditus is willing to be close to death for Paul. But we are not nice people. We are enemies of God. We are born naturally inclined away from God. But God being rich in mercy saves us. Isn't that wonderful? God considers our good before his own. And he dies for us. And we receive all of his benefits. That is why Paul is willing to call over and over, just even in this passage, why he is willing to call Paul, uh, Paul is willing to call Jesus, my Lord. You see that at the start of the passage? Lord Jesus. It's why back in verse one of chapter one, he calls himself a servant of Jesus. 
It's why he's willing to give up Timothy, his dearly beloved son. It's why he's willing to send Epaphroditus back, who, who he would have had sorrow upon sorrow if he had died. It's why he's willing to suffer in prison. For Timothy to do that, for, for Paul to do that, for, Jesus to, for Paul to call Jesus Lord and to be his servant. For him to consider others before he considers himself. That might sound foolish. Braxley, it's the rational response to a God who has shown him mercy. If we're resisting that this morning, if we're resisting bowing the knee to Jesus and calling him Lord, my prayer would be for you this morning that you would have the eyes to see the scandalous generosity that God has shown you in his son Christ Jesus. The great mercy that he has shown you through his son Christ Jesus. In moving you from death into life. Liberty Church. With the generosity of God in Christ Jesus. Move us to be a truly counter-cultural community. Who would genuinely, genuinely consider others before ourselves. With a joyful generosity.